Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I am so delighted to have with me as my guest, Dr. Oleg Konovalov. Oleg, welcome to my show. Meredith, thank you for honoring me and thank you for inviting for this great chat. Thank you. Well, uh, it's my honor, believe me. Uh, Let me just tell my audience a little bit about you before we dive into our conversation. Oleg is a thought leader, an author, a business educator, and a consultant with over 25 years of experience operating businesses and working with Fortune 500 companies around the world. He's a member of Marshall Goldsmith's, uh, I would say exclusive, 100 Coaches Group, which is um, quite a a wonderful um, situation to be in, getting to interact with Marshall and all those other folks that are part of that group. And Oleg is also the author of several really important and valuable business books, including his latest one, Leaderology, Corporate Superpower, and Organizational Anatomy. And so, Oleg, with the books that you've written and the experiences you've had, I know you have so much rich information to share with my audience. Before we go into details of the content I want to cover today, Please tell us a little bit about your own personal story. How did you come to do the work that you're doing today with organizations? Uh, thank you, Meredith. You see, I was, uh, I, I was for many years, I was in practical business and therefore, uh, so experience plus curiosity and built up knowledge, it's a strong force which pushing you further and further. You're digging deeper and deeper every time, but you're trying to find where the roots of everything are and how to to make it applicable for all, you know. And uh, I was always curious about finding the solutions. And, uh, you know, it's an old Greek saying, craftsman who knows how to do things, master he knows how to explain these things, but really artful person knows how to explain what stands behind those reasons. And this is where I'm digging into. You see, for instance, now I'm working further and looking into the nature of vision, leadership vision, a vision that changes lives of people and the way how we do business. Because, uh, it was always, I was always curious to find the cause of it, how it's created, how it comes, not only based on my experience, but how the best people in the world do this. It's uh, how to construct it and how to execute it and bring really valuable help, how to shape the future. Mm-hmm. That's such an important area when you think of a leader of an organization where does that person want to go 
and take the people who work on that team. So let's talk a little bit. I would love to go deeper with this whole concept of vision. So let's start with what's your definition of vision? And here I would come with something absolutely strange because there is no single definition of vision. Uh, and the reason I, I've been looking at, okay, what's my definition of vision? Okay, this is, this is the way how I would see the future and so I'm creating it. Or oh, my aspiration for the future. But actually, every visionary has own definition of a vision. And the reason is simple. It's your baby. It's like you have a child, you're giving it your name. Or you have a right to give it a name because you're envisioning how you would love this boy or girl, you know, just like this child. And so, your initial idea how or what kind of person it should be and so you're giving a name the same with a vision it's something which was born inside your mind it's comes and then you're sharing with everyone it's become at the initially it is your own property and then you're making it collective property to grow like kids mm -hmm. you are not bringing child or growing a child for yourself you're growing a child to be own self and to live in that society and the same with a vision you have a right to give it a name and your definition as soon as positive changing future bringing value for people and changes uh, the way uh, how we are shaping the world. It's more or less, we, we have a rights, full rights, and it's in our power, our possession, to define the evolution. And so through the vision, we do this. So that makes sense that I can see where each person would define their own unique vision uh, because of what their where they want to go either personally or take the company that they own or are leading what are some of the common elements though that would be no matter what the person's individual vision is or even their definition what are some common elements that we need to think about as we look at forming a vision uh, creating one that can keep us excited and motivated about getting through the challenging times? I would start from the very earliest stage, from creation, because that is most most fascinating moment. What stands behind aha moment? You know, wow, how it comes. I got a vision. You know, it's not just suddenly you're having a coffee or walking on the street and all of a sudden you got a vision for nothing. What is that? Actually, people strongly believe that vision is a gift. Okay, but reality is you're working hard or thinking hard about how you would solve a certain problem or you about to change something. And so when your conscious awareness of that problem reaches its peak and you know everything, you get the vision. And the gift is only your ability to work hard for it. This is a gift. So. It's related to business and it is related to your personal life. 
because if you're thinking strongly about your family, how you want to treat and raise your family, it would be the same. If you want, business is a reflection of our personal life. Mm-hmm. It's one thing. Then you're creating or constructing the way how to make it strong, compelling vision. You need to think about, call it stimulus. So because it reflects the main purpose of leadership, you act for people, act with people, and act for their needs. We could correlate it, or translate it immediately to our personal life. Because Mm -hmm. I act for my family, and for their needs, and together with them, and the same with the company. It must be scalable, because it doesn't accept the dead end. And so it has some kind of a potential. We want to make it better because along the way, something could change, but it still grow. It still grows and it becomes stronger. A critical moment, it's spotlight because your response, you, as soon as you're take, taking a helm, you're taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. You assume responsibility. And so yeah, in, you're know, like on Broadway, 24 hours, 365 days a week, you're responsible for everything, you know? And it's nothing like, oh, okay, I would retire or I quit the project. No, if you took a leadership role, you're responsible. And if I'm father of my family, I took responsibility for it. Not just today or this week only, that's it, it's forever. So you're talking about really a long-term commitment. Absolutely. When you have a vision, it's not for a short-term, small gain. It's because you really can. And and you said something that was interesting in terms of, if I heard you correctly, you first have seen or identified a problem that exists. (laughs) and, and, And so your vision is seeing how can you, either eliminate that problem or improve the situation to make it better. Did I get that right? Yes, absolutely. Because everything stands. If it's no problem, what's the point for a vision? I want to make ice cream a bit tastier. Cool. You know, change the recipe. You know, it's not a huge problem. It's a matter of technology. But if you want to make a real impact in a good way, and uh, make that huge multi-generational goal, you know, worthwhile, you must think something which would be critical, which would be critical for people, and then they will commit themselves to it. Otherwise, no, you know. And so when you're thinking about a problem, you you must kill your ego because... I never saw anyone with huge ego to whom people were attached. People attached to purpose. Mm. If it's related to them, they don't want to be told the story. They want to be part of that story. And that would make a huge difference. Well, so, that is, that's profound uh, when you think about um, visionary leaders who really want to take people somewhere into the future, the setting aside of their own 
personal needs and they are sacrificing themselves the greater good and i think that's one of the common themes you have throughout your books if i'm not mistaken yeah. the idea of an effective leader talk a little bit more about that aspect of leadership i will tell you something shocking and the reason is simple 0.1% of leaders are actually have vision actually not have vision Yes, zero point one. So wow. we, and that's and the same case. We are in a strong demand for strong leaders. We have pleasers who agree with everything. We have we have leaders with a strong personal ambitious, you know, which are not acting for people. We have many of them. They're looking at the bottom lines. They're looking at financial reports. They not care about the problems to be solved. They care about reports to be published. Well, different sorts of people, you know, of uh, leaders, and we hardly remember them, or we are really keen to forget about them. We have a problem with strong leaders. We don't have enough strong leaders. We, uh, we even before talking about a visionary leaders, we need a strong leadership because you need to execute it based on strong leadership. Right. Now, what areas are you thinking um, or have you found in your work with organizations where leaders are not strong? Where, where are some of those specific areas that you see they need to develop greater strength? A leadership itself, because most often they're not learning and therefore they, uh, they're afraid to become slaves of somebody who knows more than them. They're becoming dependent of a weak subordinate. So they're not, we're facing a lack of humility, put it in this way. A lack of humility. Yeah, mm. leaders humility. If you talk to CSU at any company, they know everything. Mm -hmm. They know everything. No, 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 we're fine. We know that. And so why did you get into this result? No, 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 it just happened. You know, as I'm always saying, the, any CEO could write a huge book, uh, like a top 1,000 reasons why we failed. They wouldn't put values into it. They wouldn't put quality of management or leadership. They, would put, they wouldn't put anything like that into that book. They will put excuses. And that's, a, that's about leadership, which we should change. Therefore, like in leaderology, I'm talking about that leadership is not a function. It's a system. It's which responsible as a function of it, responsible of creating a productive ecosystem between customers, employees, and the leaders themselves. Here we talk about leaders who can manage a strong culture because culture reflects leadership. And if the culture would be really, if you look across the globe, you know, how many companies we could see with a strong culture? Not many, because leaders talking, but not managing it. Mm -hmm. They're not connecting people. Mm -hmm. Okay, coronavirus brought us into a situation where people should work remotely or at their own. Nothing wrong with that. 
I still have friends, for instance, all over the world, and I'm talking with them. We're talking with you now, being in different countries and different continents, but we are connected. I, I have called doubts how many corporations, corporations would be out of coronavirus period because they might face post-pandemia depression because their culture will suffer. People were disconnected mm -hmm. and to put them back would be difficult, particularly when leaders don't know how to do it. Talking is one thing, but culture is a matter of action. Mm -hmm. Action for people and not about leaders themselves. So when we talk about people needing to work remotely now due to the coronavirus, you're saying that if they have established a strong culture, that will be maintained. Absolutely. Whether it, it wouldn't be lost, it would still would be strong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if it's we're just like faked, fragmented culture, ooh, that would be a problem. And why do you say that? What, what is it about creating a strong culture that allows people to perform still effectively when they are in their own homes working and not together with their team? What is it that's been created that allows that to happen? I, I, I developed as like a strong model with, with three core elements. First of all, culture depends on how the roles are overlapping. Not job descriptions, but roles in terms of how we support each other, regardless where we are in direct contact or we are working in completely remote branches or departments, whether we are acting or facing customers directly or not. Because if, if you would ask, for instance, people from HR department, what is your role for customers? They're puzzled. They can't respond to these questions and, until you tell them, no, 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 you can't go away before you would answer me. You know, uh, But all people in organization are responsible for serving customers. If they not, what they do in organization, what kind of value they create, and so, we can't create value on our own. We create value in collaboration with others. This is where the most value comes from. And this is very critical to keep those roles overlapping. Another issue, or the second part of it, is strong culture comes when we invest into each other. I invest my support into my colleagues, to my subordinates, and uh, not just a matter of pass me a file or can you shut the window, you know, it is about to see how it could help others to grow. Being of service. Absolutely. And a strange thing, when you ask people, okay, can you write down, what do you know about achievements of your colleague for the last year, and the people have difficulty to answer this simple question. And so, and oh yeah, I heard something. 
how did you praise this person? How did you celebrate this? So more or less in a way, how did you support this person, person's cross? If you never supported anyone, why are you expecting the same support in return? Mm-hmm. No point. But when we, and so when the people fragmented, like sitting at home at the moment, they still need to keep that connection. Mm-hmm. And this is very important. And a third element, of course, culture, dynamic, is dynamic. It must be dynamic. It's not, it's not a swamp, you know. And the same case, leader is a pace set of culture. Right. I was just thinking, as I was listening to you describe this, that what has to happen, it sounds like, <clears throat> is that before we get into these situations like we are in today Mm -hmm. where people are having to work remotely, those habits of connecting and supporting and interacting effectively really need to be in place already. It's not going to like suddenly appear and become a reality when people are put now in a different situation. Is that part of what you're saying? These, yes. these, these uh, it types, the way we interact with each other needs to be established before if you want, we get into the crisis type of situation. If you want your people to smile tomorrow, let them smile today. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't wait for the things to happen. You must do them now. Mm-hmm. You know, and coming after after everything you have done wrong and saying, oh, it just happened. No, no, no. You cooked it. You cooked the problem or you cooked satisfaction. It's, mm-hmm. it's a leader's job to do this in a good sense. Well, so many of my listeners do work with leaders as coaches, consultants, and trainers. And so I want to circle back to that distinction you made a few minutes ago related to um, leadership and this whole idea of it not being a function, but being a system. Talk more about the difference between those two. When we think about general, because I'm a coach myself. Mm-hmm. Right, and the thing is, what I'm just often facing. People talk about leadership as something that's been hung up in the air, without any relation to organization itself. What people managing? No, no, you should become better. In what terms? A better person, nicer person, okay, but what's an outcome or what is a return on investment? for those people who really demand coaching. And that comes, so I'm saying, we really need visionary leadership because it's a basis, it's the foundation from where leader could take a lead. Then he knows, okay, here's a vision. Organization is an instrument, how to satisfy people. And also organization accommodates all that people, employees, who can do this job perfectly and bring the value, create a value. And so therefore leadership itself as a function wouldn't lead us far unless we understand it as a system of vision, competences, uh, 
daily upgraded knowledge, serendipity for, for finding solutions, and ability to stand strong. You have, you, I'm confident that you saw many leaders who stand on a position of consensus. The consensus is very strong and trendy world these days. But that is for those who don't have own opinion and they don't know where to lead people. Therefore, they're asking, where do you want to go? Mm. Left or right? And people, you know, voting, we want left. Okay, go left. Oh, you see, you're better wrong. Where we want go next? That's a weak leadership. Because it just itself, I'm listening to people. No, no, no. If I want somebody to listen to me, I will talk to my wife. You know, but if I want somebody to lead me, I want him or her to take responsibility and lead me and be confident. Because leader's confidence is important and critical. No doubt. Well, let's talk specifically about uh, one of your clients, an organization that you've worked with where you have helped guide these leaders to understand the system aspect rather than just the function aspect. What, what kinds of transformations have you seen as a result of helping them? And maybe even go back a little bit. Let's think of one in particular. What issues were they having where by you going in and working with them, you helped them achieve a greater result because of the way you helped them redefine vision and leadership as a system? About a year ago, I was invited uh, to do some kind of coaching on leadership and plus it was a separate assignment with the same company to help them with the culture. And I said, guys, you're starting the wrong way. You should start with the basic, your strategy, your vision, your values, you know, just like to go on and on and build on this. No, no, we don't know. Just can we have this and this and this, you know, certain prescription. Mm -hmm. take the boxes and I said yes but you will be back to me within a short while all went well but the thing is as I mentioned before when it's hung out somewhere in the air and it's not grounded to a reality you know to all those foundational things it would not move any leader far yeah we could say this leader became better by like call it 20, 30, 40%. And I'm saying, guys, I'm not interested to deal with my client if I can't help him to improve by 60, 70, up to 100%. I'm not playing low, I'm playing high. So my demand is high. And they came back within a few months, came back to me and said, you're right. We should do these things differently again and again and again. And so we did it, you know, and... <laughs> this is uh, the way what's people looking at or most critical point I'm good as a leader but I want to improve it still need to be because when you're facing a new project when you're facing a new reality you must be like a child start everything from you because if as Marshall Goldsmith said what got you here wouldn't get you there. Mm -hmm. My favorite book of his. <laughs> Absolutely. Mine as well. And uh, 
So you must develop your own vision or new vision from, from scratch again. You can't exercise an old vision. So whatever you would be bringing as a coach to a customer without having those foundations, it wouldn't help your client much. It would improve, but it wouldn't be a really ultimate difference. Right, you're talking about not going after uh, the um, as initial symptom or, or, you know, the apparent problem, but it sounds like you go deeper to find out what's really, and you already know there's a foundation that needs to be laid, but maybe where are the missing pieces as you go through that upfront learning more about them and where you might be able to help them? How do you go about determining where they currently are so you know where they need to go? Oh, it's simple uh, because even it's on uh, the on initial stage, you talk with people asking, okay, where do you go? What's your goals? And can you define them? Uh, but actually, yes, I do a few tricky things like asking, okay, do you believe in something? And the thing is, what I have found, if people don't have any face into something bigger than themselves, it's no point because that means their ego is too huge. You know, they don't have a vision. They have a vision only for themselves. I have some some clever questions for that. You know, quite okay. And then I'm saying, okay, this is what we we could change. This is what we could improve. And so I'm laying this foundation at very initial stages. And then I'm getting picky. If I could see that I or if I don't expect a client to improve because being focused on himself, on herself, I'm saying thank you. Not for me. You walk away from those kind of situations. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What is yeah. it that determines for you um, in terms of, I'd love to hear a couple of the questions you ask, but also what kinds of responses tell you this really isn't an opportunity here because it's clear this person isn't going to be willing to learn and see and, and try something different? First of all, and it's the most, or one of the best indicators is when your potential client talks about somebody or comparing himself to somebody, to the peer. So he is trying to be, he's trying to copy paste somebody's success to himself. Mm. So he wouldn't be learning. He is looking for recipe, how to become within a month, the same successful person. So he wouldn't go the way to learn. He wouldn't, he wouldn't spend extra hour reading. He would not spend extra hour thinking. Nothing like that. It's a first. It's a first symptom. So be careful. And if you could turn this person quickly within minutes into the normal path, it's okay. If not, forget about it. For instance, that's a simple. Uh, another problem is, as we talk, it's where I could see humility in this person. Uh, you know. 
I got my MBA years ago before I got my doctoral degree. And I do remember those days when we strongly believed that we know everything after being graduated. But the problem is uh, that many leaders, even after 10, 15 years after being graduated with their MBAs or whatever degrees, they still believe that they know everything. So it's another waste of time. Mm -hmm. It sounds like what you're looking for <clears throat> is someone who has awareness. Absolutely. They don't have all the answers <laughs> and are open to learning new things and without and recognizing they'll have to make some commitments and effort to do it. They don't expect you to provide the recipe A to Z that they simply plug and play. It's like you probably, uh, all of us are aware of such cases when patient comes to a doctor and asking for a prescription and within a month they're coming back to a medical consultant saying it doesn't work. Have you tried those pills? No, but it doesn't work. You know, the same, they are not, and actually what they know, they know everything how to treat this problem because they read some, they, they found something in the internet why they came to the medical consultant. They don't want to do their homework. How medical consultant could, could be responsible for their treatment. And I don't want to be in this situation. Mm -hmm. I want to be good medical consultant mm -hmm. with the best results. So let's flip it around in terms of a client that for you would be ideal, what are some of the things that the leader exhibits that causes you to say, oh, there is a wonderful opportunity here for their own growth and for that of their organization? The client who is challenging himself. That would be the simplest way. You know, he is not challenging me because I'm only called witnessing his growth and of course, helping him to grow he's challenging himself that's the main thing i got a call today from somebody who said can i have an extra few minutes for you and we will talk with him tomorrow with this particular guy because I said, look i found something that could help me because i found where my mistake was and thank you you know something like that that's the best client and i would for sure i will find an extra time for him you know, because I love the way he grows. Because he is growing, that means I'm growing as well. Mm, interesting that if they're growing, they're asking you questions, they're challenging you too yes. for yourself. Mm -hmm. They're not picking me. They're helping me to grow. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's a beauty of this uh, role, being a coach, because I grow as well. I can't grow with weak clients. I could grow only with strong clients. Oh, that's an excellent point. Uh, yeah. When you look at what would get you excited, it would be people who really want to go far. And Absolutely. you'll be going along with them as they move forward. Ah, here's the trick. I forward. must be stronger or at least better in something mm -hmm. to accompany them along the way. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not, I'm off. Mm -hmm. I fail, right? But if they are really weak, I can't drag them to the top of a summit. 
No. So let's kind of look ahead as people are, because if they have a really big vision, they're going to be working on that for a long time. Along the way, though, they're creating a culture that's very positive for the people who are a part of that. What are some of the things that you see, um, the behaviors, the attitudes of the people that work in a culture that's thriving? What do they do differently than the cultures where there's not that kind of same energy and healthiness? I would, I would go in a simple way. To reach a goal, we have a fantastic goal to reach within a few years, okay? To reach that exceptional goal, we must exhibit exceptional performance. Right. But that performance comes from all that collective energy, but from all that effort, which can be structured into what I call it metaphysical resources, trust, teamwork, accountability, shared vision, professionalism. Actually, professionalism, people hardly understand that I can, no one can be a professional on his own. We become professionals by working together with somebody. We're learning from each other. We're bouncing from each other. And the, so we become professionals, right? And those issues, innovation, it can be, you know, all those, it's metaphysical resources. This is what leaders paid for. They help people to work more effectively together by cultivating their personal qualities and competences. And thus they're creating this pool of resources which defines a level of performance. And of course, it's all wrapped into vision. I call it a power pyramid. And But that makes a difference what good leaders do. They bet on these resources. They bet on teamwork, mutual support and all these things. They're not into micromanagement. They're not into those reports. They, or say, put it differently, they see people's faces behind reports. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the sense that I'm getting from you is, is people individually feel very valued because of the interest that the leader takes in them, in their well-being, as well as in drawing out their best. And I, I would assume that also means uh, identifying their strengths, where they can make the greatest contribution, and, and somehow um, attending to that without, like you say, micromanaging, but recognizing it. That whole thing of people feeling valued, I think, is so critical in the leader's role. I'll bring you an example. I love working with clinics, with private clinics. With I got some, yeah, in terms of management mm -hmm. and leadership. What is the main resource for clinics is the knowledge of medical consultants. And if we could imagine just modeling a situation, this is a, a small private clinic with 10 medical consultants, okay? 
what would happen if two of the consultants are quit and changing the job or going to another clinic? That means 20% of the main resource just walked away. So you must, and you must treat as a leader those people either to stay or to be replaced with the same amount of resources. You're not managing, you're managing value which resides in people. Mm-hmm. We know about business schools that every summer part of professors and tutors migrating from a school to a school. And it's a big problem because they're taking knowledge away. Mm. New guys are hardly fitting in into the previous project. And so it's causing more mess. And uh, deans and uh, of the business schools are simply in position to juggle with all those consequences every year instead of creating a value of what they have. This is part of all this common commitment. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the cost of that turnover and um, chaos is huge. And it's, it's far beyond those reports of HR people because mm-hmm. HR said, we lost two people and we replaced them. Cool. How much? 20%. But if you look at from a leadership standpoint, hold on. I lost 20% of my resources. It's like, imagine 20% of your bank account, it was just like whooped, wiped away. Oh, it might be replaced someday, but it's just been off. That's the same. Mm-hmm. This ties back in, and, and we'll need to be wrapping up here, but to me it ties back into this whole thing of leadership as a system. Exactly. And not just this little uh, narrow function because you're really what you're talking about. It ties back to the vision too. If where I want to take people, all of a sudden I've lost 20%. That has a big impact on how soon we can make progress to getting to that ultimate vision. Even not just how soon, but how timely we could get into the yeah. destination. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We, we need, for instance, uh, medicine for fighting coronavirus not the next year we need it now but i lost my best biologist because i didn't took care of them initially and now they went to do gardening or some kind of i don't know teaching biology at the school that's it yeah the the cost in terms of the ability, like you say, to even move forward can be dramatic. So what you're, what you're doing is such important work, helping leaders really understand their role and how big it truly is, all the facets of it. So as we wrap up, I want to encourage people to um, invest in your books and especially this latest one, Leaderology. I just think you've incorporated so many important and valuable aspects for anyone who aspires to be a leader, is currently a leader, or who works with leaders because you have so many um, insights there that I think can help achieve 
this goal that I know you have of creating healthier organizations, better cultures. So thank you so much. Oleg, will you please share how people can connect with you and learn more about your work and get your books? <laughs> the books are available, uh, Leaderology, Corporate Superbowl, all my books are available on Amazon and all other resources. I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn and answer the questions if people got some questions to me. Uh, they could visit my website, uh, olekkonavalov.com, and I'm regularly publishing different articles and blog posts and, you know, videos helping with solutions. I love solutions. I don't love problems. <laughs> well, I know the leaders that work with you must appreciate that. Let me, for my listeners that don't have access to our show notes page, we'll put links there. But for those that don't, let me just spell your name so they can find your website. It's O-L-E-G and then K-O-N-O-V-A-L-O-V. So Oleg, thank you so much for being with me today and for the wonderful work you're doing in this world, helping to create stronger, better leaders. Thank you for what you do. And it was a great honor. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, Grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.